This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. I know, right? So how's your day? Pretty good. How about you? Uh, It's good. We spent most of the day on the road. Um, Yeah. Sarah and I went to the North Texas Fiber Festival or the DFW Fiber Festival, something to that effect. Mostly Mm -hmm. she wanted to see the hand-dyed and hand-spun yarn. Yeah, Um, I saw your picture. Like they were teaching her how to do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Also, shout out to my new friends and our new followers that I met there. Um, so it was hilarious. I was, I meant you mean chase them down and made them subscribe to this. No, (laughs) we were stuck in a tiny little area. They had nowhere to go. Um, no, so they weren't running because they couldn't get away. Exactly. I was blocking the exit. Um, we were at a booth and, uh, all of the yarns there were named after Harry Potter. Ooh, nice. And so like. Uh, Sarah and I were having fun identifying all the references and mm-hmm. one of the women goes, turn this stupid fat rat yellow. What is that? And I was like, it's a Harry Potter reference. And uh-huh. um, so she was like, oh, I've not seen the movies. And you know me as a literary person, I gasped and I was like, the books, you mean you've not read the books, <laughs> <laughs> which of course I've seen the movies as well. I, duh. Right. Yeah, I know. But, um. She was like, the thing is, I just don't think it's my thing. Cause like, I like true crime. And I was like, hold up. You can like both. And I know because I'm a host of a very successful podcast. <laughs> We're basically famous now. <laughs> so, uh, so a group of the ladies at the booth pulled out their phones and subscribed to us. How fun. So shout out to all of you. We love you. Yes. I don't know you yet, but I do love you. I, um, so let's see. This weekend, yesterday, I went to uh, my friend and I took our our children's to the um, to the farmers market, and then like to eat lunch and just to run around in the park. We did a bunch of stuff with the kids. We took them to get popsicles at Steel City Pops, which was really good. Yum. Mm-hmm. And then today, I just kind of like ran errands i was gonna relax and that didn't happen so who does that these days i know well but i have i will tell you this and you probably know if you read the messages this morning but i have some uh pork like in the slow cooker right now and my house smells amazing i'm on my way (laughs) just get in the car you can do the podcast while you're driving right (laughs) (laughs) no like for real my house smells so good right now Ugh. Yum. So yeah, I did that and I made some uh, lemon poppy seed bread and I hung up like all the clothes that were clean and well, damn Betty Crocker. I know I'm killing it today. Crushing it. I know. Speaking of crushing, you want to tell us about something that will crush our souls? This movie was actually fairly entertaining. Well, good. Cause this case sucks. Look, I don't, I know Charles Manson is like supposedly one of America's most prolific serial killers. I don't respect him as a killer or as a cult leader. He didn't do any of his own shit. He doesn't get he the credit. He didn't do anything. He's a pussy for sure. And I'm going to say that about 10 more times. So get ready. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he sucks. Yeah. He doesn't do anything himself. The worst. Okay. <clears throat> This week, I watched Manson's Lost Girls, which uh, 
premiered on February 6, 2016. So the ending, um, Chiron is going to be a little bit off, but I do have some updates from that. And then you will okay. obviously as well. Um, hold on. Um, I missed so- one. I for sure panicked all weekend that I was researching the wrong case. Even though I texted you and asked and double checked, I spent this whole time like, fuck, what if I've done all the wrong work? Because I'm waiting for that to happen. The schedule is in the drive, so. Thank you. I saw that this morning. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit too late. Right. <laughs> um. Okay, so. I'm going to, this is a true like ensemble cast. So I'm going to run through kind of a lot of people here, but bonus points. If you list anyone or anything, I know. Okay. So Jeff Ward plays Charles Manson. He was in the agents of shield. Okay. Show. I don't know him, but I do know the show. Yeah. He played Deke in that show. Oh, bonus points already. Yeah. He's super hot, but this movie. Okay. Um, I need Lifetime to stop making people unhot and start playing up their features, please. That's really why we get into true crime for the sex and the glamour. Ugh, yeah. Um, Mackenzie Mousy, Mousy, M-A-U-Z-Y. I want to say it's both. You have to say both sure. every time okay. you say her name. Okay. I'm not going to say her name again. I'm just going to refer to her as her character name. Um, she plays Linda Kasabian. Okay. Um, but she was in Into the Woods. She played Rapunzel. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a good cast. Yeah, this is a good cast, actually. Um, Eden Brolin. And I put in uh, um, parentheses. Yes, those Brolins. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. She is uh, Barbara Streisand's step-granddaughter. James wow. Brolin's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays Susan Atkins, um, and she's in Code Black with our friend Marcia Gay Harden from Love You to Death. Really? Yeah. And then we have Greer Grammar, and I again put in parentheses, yes, those grammars. Like of Kelsey Grammar? Like of Kelsey Grammar. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's Kelsey Grammar's daughter. Um, she plays Leslie Van Houten, um, and she was in, on the MTV show Awkward. Oh, okay. This is mm-hmm. a, a, so far, this is my best night for celebrities. I know. I'm really proud. Um, Isabel Schill, she plays Patricia Krenwinkle, um, and she was on Orange is the New Black. I've not seen it, but I know of it, and I know pretty much the cast. Like, I've seen them all in the social mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, Christian Madsen, he plays Tex Watson, and he was in um, Divergent. He had a small part in Divergent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we have uh, Garrett Coffey. He plays Bobby. I'm going to butcher this. Beausoleil, I think. Okay. That's not a person in my notes. So you can say whatever the hell you want. Well, he is a person. (laughs) Uh, He was on the show Major Crimes. Okay. But he's not super big. He, um, He has a Febreze commercial and a Clorox commercial on his IMDb page. Oh, man. That is what I, <laughs> I aspire to hit that. So I briefly had an IMDb DB page that I did not set up, but I played in, um, I did the soundtrack for a short film, a Christian short film. Oh, cool. And so like, if you search my name on Spotify or anything like that, you'll find this one thing that I recorded 
But briefly, I had an IMDb page. I think it got taken down because for real, who needs to know I was the violist in this Christian short film that went nowhere. <laughs> I'm going to look that up later on Spotify, just so you know. It's, so, it's in Assyrian, so good luck. Cool. So now we're listening, or we're listening. You're listening. I don't know what's happening. Okay. We're moving on to my favorite segment, Pornhub or TV. I'm going to get it this time. Well, this one's a little bit more difficult. Um, It is brought to us by our friend Jeff Ward, who is super hot and plays Charles Manson in this movie. And he was also in a movie called The Girlfriend Game. Softcore porn, HBO subscription only. No, and I can't figure out where this played, but let me read you the uh, synopsis. I think it was... Maybe straight to DVD. The synopsis is an erotic thriller about a twisted game a couple plays at bars until one night things get out of hand. The story takes us onto a nightmarish psychosexual journey and gradually the true nature of their relationship comes to light. I mean, it sounds like something I'd watch and feel uncomfortable for a third of it, but. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do this movie. Mm-mm. I'm going to try to run through again. Okay. Yikes. Okay. We open on a grainy video of an orgy. Are you with, Are you sure this was Lifetime? Oh, I'm sure. There's a lot of sex in this movie. But and so I you know, I looked up whether it was originally done by Lifetime and it was because like their logo is on the cover of the movie. Okay. Adding it to my watch list right now. It's actually a decent movie. Okay. Um, we While the orgy's going on around a bonfire, because, you know. Where else sure. would you have an orgy, duh? Right, yeah. Um, there's a voiceover about truth, killing, and L.A. burning to the ground to really set the mood. Man, those are all the topics you need to talk about to really get me going in a campfire orgy. <laughs> We cut to a news story from 1969 um, about the murder 69, of 69, am I right? Ay, ay, ay. I had to get it out of the way. What's only what's? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we cut to a news story from 1969 about the murder of Sharon Tate. Okay. Back at the compound, um, a girl, it's uh, Linda, is packing up and trying to sneak away. Um, After the at- orgy? Well, I guess it's after the orgy. It doesn't really say. Oh, I was like, is this like the walk of shame post orgy? No. Or? Okay. I don't think so. I think the orgy was just like. Just to, to really set, the, set scene. the scene. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's getting ready to leave and she goes over to like a group of children. And I wrote, there are children on this compound. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. Ooh. Yeah. Um, she hugs her baby and she's going to take her with her. Her baby's name is Tanya. Um, but the girl that watches the kid tells her, quote, Charlie says it's on for tonight. And this time you're not just watching. Oh God. She's got to play outfielder at the intramural softball game. (laughs) God, I wish. Warren Jeffs Um, versus Charlie Manson. I'm in. (laughs) No. That's not a game I'm going to attend. I hate it. I hate it. Okay. 
Loser has to convert to the other one's compound. <laughs> Charles Manson doesn't really have a religion, though. He's just weird. Well, he thinks he's God. His followers yeah, thought he no was set, God. So. There's no set religion. There's nothing they That's follow. True. It's just they're just there, and he thinks he's God. That's true. It's very sloppy. Not very well organized at all. <laughs> So they won't let her take her baby. So she leaves her. Oh, yeah. They won't let her take her baby because it's not, quote, mommy time. Fuck you. Okay. Um, But she leaves the baby and books it the fuck out of there because, you know. She arrives at a trailer and knocks on the door and asks a guy to help her. And I guess he's Tanya's father. Okay. Um. He like storms out of the trailer and he's like, that Manson guy is insane and that she better go and get their kid back from there because she can't leave the baby there. We flash way back at this point to her leaving her mother's house to set out for California. Okay. Which went about as well as you would have expected someone leaving their home in the 1960s to move to California because they feel like it to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. There is a gratuitous hippie montage. Good. Lots of flowers, LSD, and no deodorant. Yeah. And sex. Of course. You can't mm-hmm. forget the sex. Yeah. Lots of sex. Okay. She's actually married to the trailer guy. Okay. He took off to South America, though. Like you do? To, quote, do a job. I don't know what the job is, but, but it comes back. But so. he did it, so. <laughs> yeah, he did the job. Um, and he left her with her baby and... No money. What an asshole. Yeah. So when he leaves her, she goes to like a, like a cafe or a diner to get like coffee and stuff. And she is counting change on the counter. Cause she's not going to have enough money to pay. And this girl sees her and it's Susan Atkins. And she's like, Hey, she walks over and she's like, Hey, follow my lead. And then she screams and is like rat. And they all run out of the restaurant. Duh, that's how you do it. <laughs> Dine and Dash 101, you scream rat and hope that it's not East Texas where they just expect there to be rats. <laughs> that's totally um, a joke. Nobody think I'm actually hitting on East Texas. I love it there. Especially Cancun Dave's, rest in peace. There was a fly in my food. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what just happened. I just found out there's a group of people from my hometown who listen and I talk a lot of shit about my hometown. And I'm really unapologetic about it, but (laughs) there was this text mess place in my hometown called Cancun Dave's, Uh and it was exactly as good as you would expect a place called Cancun Dave's to be. As somebody who lives in San Antonio, which is the capital of Tex-Mex, it was awful, but it was the place everyone in, in my hometown went. It was just you know um the culinary experience and Mm -hmm. the first time sarah came home to meet my family um my family took us there for dinner because it was the place everybody went and there was a fried fly in my food (laughs) and so it it no longer exists and i can't imagine why yeah. There was a ceiling it. tile that had a leak and broke in half, so they replaced it with a sombrero in the ceiling. So just <laughs> for no reason, there's a upside-down sombrero hanging out of the ceiling tiles. 
Oh my god! It, Did you grow up on the set of Deliverance? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I left as soon as I could. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh, we got so far off the rails. I don't even know what's happening. Came back to screaming rat and leaving a restaurant. Okay. In return for her creating a distraction, Linda gets in Susan's car and leaves with her. Like you do when someone yells rat. Yeah. Um, so Susan invites her to the ranch where she'll introduce her to good old Charlie. Oh, that's so sweet of her. Yeah. They go to the ranch where uh, Leslie comes up and to Linda and tells her that she's the only Gemini there and she has great energy. Now, they've never spoken before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess Leslie's a little uh, psychic? Crazy? I don't know. You know, that's a fine line for some people. Um, they introduce her to a girl named Squeaky, who is so named for the uh hey, side note, are you did. getting pulled over? No. Can you slow down your car while we're recording this podcast, Aaron? No. No, I can't. <laughs> Mostly because I'm not in my car. <laughs> okay, Squeaky. There's a fire station down the street. It happens sometimes. Okay. Um... Okay, so Squeaky, who is so nicknamed for the uh, sounds that she makes. Oh, during their- no. Hmm, yeah. Don't give people coital sound nicknames. That's not acceptable. Well, we cut immediately to Linda having sex with one of the guys she met. Oh, good. She's trying to get her own nickname? Yeah. Um... Tex, the guy that she's with, tells her that Charlie has spent most of his life in prison. Just not the best start, but whatever. Um, the next morning, she wakes up and here's Charlie. Mm, go away, Charlie. He immediately gets on his knees and starts rubbing her legs while telling her like things about her life. Is there any explanation to that? No. Because that comes up in my notes, too. And I searched for an explanation, and I couldn't find anything. It's just gross, I think. I wish that were made up, but that was a real thing. Yeah. Um, Later, the girls are around the fire smoking pot, and they're all talking about how they met Charlie and why they all left their home. And um, I will say... If nothing else, this movie has a pretty nice soundtrack. Lots of 60s music. I dig it a lot. Real 60s music? Yes. Shout out Lifetime. Yeah. Um, they go. They all go to a party the next day at a pretty nice condo. Um, and I have a hard... I had a hard time finding an edit of the week this week. So I'm going to do the prop of the week this okay. week. So they uh, go to this party at a condo and someone gives them a sheet of what I assume is supposed to be LSD. Okay. But it's definitely, definitely those little candy dots you can buy like at the store. You yeah. pull the sheet out and <laughs> I love peel candy the sugar buttons. dots off those. Yeah. That's what it is. Beautiful. <laughs> um, the party scene lasts entirely too long. I really love the song Happy Together, but if I want to listen to the whole thing, I can download it. Right, like Spotify. Come on. Yeah. They hang out with the Beach Boys because Charles Manson actually was friends with one of the Beach Boys. Right. Let's not. Oh, I've got stories about that too later. Remind me. 
Okay. Um, Charlie sings a song that they're all super into, which I assume is only because they're all really high. Okay. it's not good. You know they cut an album? Yes. Okay. Um, we're back at the compound under the blacklight again for another orgy. Oh, blacklight orgy. Yeah, literally okay. everyone in this group is fucking each other while Charlie watches, which is totally normal and not at all insanely creepy. I mean, this is like Pornhub or TV, except internet didn't exist then, so he had to do his own Pornhub. Sure. Don't judge him. Um, the next day, they go to the beach for a party, and Charlie gives everyone more candy dots. Good. But at least they don't give them to the kids, I guess. Well, that's mean. Give the kids some candy dots. Because we <laughs> all know that's not really LSD. You couldn't afford it. It's just <laughs> placebo effect. <laughs> um, later, Charlie sings Linda a song, and she says that she loves him. That's, and then they have sex while he asks if she'd die for him. So that's, you mean I fucking did this all wrong? I dated Sarah for a year and a half before I proposed. We were engaged for a year and a half. And then we got married. You're telling me I could just give her a sheet of candy dots, sing her a shitty song, and ask her if she's devoted her life to me, and that's all I needed to do? <laughs> Fuck! Apparently. Oh my god. Um, Charlie Manson did not teach me how to play the long game, apparently. Well, he cries while they're having sex, so... Ew. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> because it's so gross. It's disgusting. So. <laughs> um... Later, she goes to get a t-shirt out of his closet and finds Polaroids of everyone at the compound with captions like, quote, loyal, quote, gives it up. And my favorite, quote, dumb, but scores good weed. That's actually my nickname from high school. <laughs> You've been holding out on me all this time? Listen, I got to keep a secret every once in a while. Yeah. Her picture doesn't have a caption yet. And so he mysteriously appears behind her and asks who she is. And she responds, quote, yours. <laughs> reverse, reverse. Get out of there, girl. You are in danger the whole time. It's terrible. Um, back to the present. And she's on a payphone with Squeaky. And she tells her that her mom got really sick and she freaked out. So she's on her way home to check on her mom. Okay. Squeaky says that Charlie is super freaking out, thinking that Linda's going to rat them out to the police. And Linda says that she wouldn't have left Tanya there if they were going to, if she was going to go talk to the cops. Squeaky says she better get back soon because things are getting crazy. Okay. In a new flashback, they're all gardening, talking about how much they miss real food. And I wrote here in quote or in quotes in parentheses. Proof that vegans have always been insufferable. <laughs> Susan sprays them with a hose because she can, I guess. Um, Charlie comes out and says, hey, girls, it's time to pay the bills. Don't. Uh, how did they pay the bills, Aaron? 
Well, it means that they all go out and distract drunk guys so they can steal their cars and wallets. Okay. I I really thought that they were going to pay with what my mother likes to call nature's credit card. Well, get ready. No. Um, they also dive in dumpsters for things that they can sell. Okay. They go back to the compound and Charlie sells the car that they stole and throws in sex with one of the girls just for funsies. You might want to put a pin number on that credit card, girl. (laughs) Charlie has a suitcase full of guns he shows to the other guys at the compound and tells them it's the beginning of, quote, Helter Skelter. Guess what? That's a Beatles song. Helter Skelter is not a real thing. It's made up. It's a it's a Beatles song. It's not a real movement, though. And it's and it's a phrase. It just means things are whacked out. Um, I know what the words mean. No, I'm trying I'm saying to. That his idea of helter skelter is not real. No, that wasn't me saying you have no clue. That's me trying to project into the past to tell this fuckwad to shut up. I believe I'm more powerful than I am, and you better just let me believe it. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Linda tries to take her daughter to sleep with her, but Leslie comes in and tells her that Charlie thinks she's too obsessed with Tanya. How can you be too obsessed with your child? Well, because everyone on the compound is Tanya's mother, father, etc. Not just Linda. Better start collecting child support, girl. Right. Um, so it's time to cut the apron strings. Um, some other girls run up and say it's time to get dressed. And Susan jumps up and down and screams, right on, creepy crawler time. This sounds like they're about to break out into a music video. Was there a music video? There was not a music video. I'm out. But creepy crawler time is when the girls get dressed up in all black and they go break into people's homes while tripping on LSD. Okay. I mean, I've heard of worse parties. Susan dresses like the Mad Hatter, which is disturbing. Um... They go to a house and a couple is at home sleeping in their bed. And I don't want to judge them, but I have to say if four girls tripping on acid broke into my house and shined a flashlight in my face while they stole things from me, I'm pretty sure I would wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even make an excuse for them. Yeah. Um, We cut immediately back to Charlie on the compound and he's dressed like Jesus. Well, why not? He's covered in blood. He's got a barbed wire crown on his head and everything. Uh, Method acting. Okay. He's sprawled out on a tree branch talking about Helter Skelter, which I don't think is in the Bible, but I could be wrong. Um, You know, there are those books that the, was it Constantine decided we didn't need whenever they had that big uh, assembly in the early, um, I don't know. It was like the fourth or fifth century. So maybe they're they're in those lost books that we uh, we we locked away because they didn't seem important. I already had plans that weekend, so I didn't go to that assembly. Listen, I get it. I was actually working because that's all I do. <laughs> um, Linda's voiceover. Oh, so while he's doing this, everyone is um, drugged out and dancing again. Like you do. Uh, Linda's voiceover says that the drugs made the crazy things seem normal because, quote, everything becomes normal when it's all you know. Okay. 
One of the girls overdoses, but Charlie whispers in her ear and she comes back to life because he's Jesus. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. A miracle has happened on this compound. I just think of those like crazy churches where people like speak in tongues and shit. That is what that reminds me of. Um, Charlie prays over dinner and calls himself God. So does he pray to himself? Uh, basically he's just expounding on how great he is as a prayer. I (laughs) also do that before every meal, especially if I cooked. I assume so. Because I mean, you're all blessed by the food that I have possibly burned. And also (laughs) I don't know if that was chili pepper or not. So I hope you don't die. (laughs) They have a friend over at the compound for dinner. And he's talking to him about the White Album, which is the Beatles for some of you uncultured people that don't know. There are people who don't know? I think so. Tell me you're making it up. I don't know, but I'm going to – I was talking about Across the Universe last night, and I found it on Netflix, and I'm going to get off here and watch it later. So I love that movie. I did not enjoy it, but I need to give it a second go. Oh, I love that movie. So for mm. one, Sarah and I thought it was going to be biographical about the Beatles. No. And so we spent the first, like, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie trying to figure out who all the characters were. And then it just didn't work because. Because that's not what it's about. Right. I was like, oh, that one's Yoko. No, that one was not Yoko. That one was Prudence. Like, it just, none of it made sense yeah. because we were, oh, thought it was going to be biographical. That movie's really good. It's basically just like an acid trip with singing. It's great. I don't know what your what your problem is. <laughs> um. Anyways, he says that the album, the White Album, is predicting a race war. Oh man, that's the helter skelter that he won't shut the fuck up about. Um. He then freaks out about one of the guys eating too many peas. How dare you mm-hmm. undermine me in my own home? Yeah. Later, the guy that was supposed to be getting Charlie his record deal, Terry, he comes over and says that the deal is a no-go now. He's not going to get the record deal. Oh, shucks. Charlie gets the crazy eyes and tells him that Terry promised him a record deal and that bad things happen to people who break promises to him. He pulls out a gun, but doesn't shoot him because Charles Manson is a gigantic pussy. Absolutely, he is. Instead, he pulls out a crowbar after Terry gets in his car and leaves and destroys a random car. Oh, like you do. I mean, the car can't fight back, so. Now, to be fair, whenever I get my agent rejection letters on the book I was trying to um, publish, I wanted to destroy many uh, cars with my crowbar. Did you first threaten to kill the uh, book publisher with a gun? No, I just screenshot the message and sent it to y'all and let y'all bitch about them because y'all are the most uplifting group of people I've ever met. And that's why you're normal. Okay. (laughs) Tex stops Charlie and tells him that they can just make their own record. Why didn't I think of that? I don't know, but Charlie gets very excited and he just goes from like one extreme emotion to the next. He has no like level. He's always crazy excited, crazy pissed, crazy, crazy. I don't know. Bad. 
So they're watching the moon landing while smoking pot, which how cool would it have been to watch the moon landing super high? I don't know. I've not been high enough to know. Oh, I think it would have been awesome. Okay. Anyways. I think I would be the um, the anxious one who's always looking over my shoulder. I don't think weed was even illegal back then. No, I think that I would just, that's what would come out. Like, I don't think I would be chill. I think I would be nervous the whole time. Because that's my default I setting never anyway. Feel caught with you. Yeah. Really harsh my buzz. Okay. Um, Charlie ruins their like their Zen moment by telling them the moon landing is fake and saying the government, instead of pu- trying to put people in space, should be preparing everyone for helter skelter, oh. which again is not real. Charlie, let up. That's a Christmas kind of conversation. We're having fun. Then he refers to people of color by a name that I will not repeat, but it was bad. No, don't do that. It was not like super bad, but it was bad. No, it's still bad. Don't do that. It was not something that I would ever say. Okay. Linda, I guess, doesn't believe enough in Charlie and his um, um, ideals because he makes her stand up against the wall he pulls out a knife and makes like he's going to throw it at her. So she's freaking out because he's she thinks he's going to kill her. And then he just like at the last minute, he's like, it's OK. I think you believe. And then leave. I know that no one could see the face I just made, but what the fuck? It's just it's psychological, pussy. psychological torture. And he would have never stabbed her because he's a giant pussy. OK, um. Later, Susan is singing that uh, song that Charlie sang at the condo party. Um, And Charlie walks in. And at first, he tells her she has a really nice voice. And she's like, oh, I learned this song for you. It was a surprise. And then he says, well, Susan, maybe you should be the one to get a record contract. Okay. Mm. There's only room for one famous person on this compound, okay? Does she have a... a Nice voice. He does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, you said she was the one who played Rapunzel, right? No. Oh. She's uh, she's the one that's related to... Um, she's a Brolin. Barbara Streisand. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so all the people sitting around start complimenting Charlie and his voice and how famous he's going to be. And um, finally, he's like, man, I was just screwing with you guys. And Susan, to show her devotion, gets up and smashes her guitar. Wait, so is he doing that Mean Girls thing where he's like, okay, like, no, you're the pretty one. And then waiting for her to be like, no, you're the prettier one. Yeah. I never (laughs) got that. So thank you. Okay. Linda goes to check on Tanya and all the kids are crying because there's no food and no money to get food. I don't like that. So Linda and Susan go out to uh, Linda's old boyfriend's trailer, who is, I guess, back from South America. Oh, good. Welcome home, honey. Yeah. Susan knocks on the door and says that she has a flat tire. He's fixing it while Linda goes into the trailer and steals $5,000 in cash from her, from him. Oh, he got that South American money. Yeah, he does. Um Charlie is very obviously pleased with this when they show back up at the compound with it. Um, But Bob, the boyfriend, followed them. He 
gets out of his car and he tells Charlie to cough up the money Linda stole or he'll call the police. And Charlie says that he can have it, but he has to kill him first. Okay. I would do it, but. They're not going to fight. What he's going to do is Charlie's going to call his bluff and just hand him a knife and be like, kill me. Um, I have so many questions. Just keep going because I'm just going to talk forever. He hands him the knife and tells Bob to stab him. Um, But Bob doesn't do it. He tells them they're all insane to keep their money, to keep Linda, and then he leaves. Okay. Later that evening, Linda and Susan are having sex. Okay. And Leslie joins them. Okay. And when they're done, um, a girl comes in and is like, so no big deal, but Charlie just killed someone. No. Charlie killed Bob? No. Okay. No. So Charlie killed a guy that they um, would get like drugs from. Okay. He was a person of color. And so this was his start to his. Helter fucking skelter. Yes. He's terrible. Okay. I was going to say, I hope he dies, but I know how this ends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The girls are freaking out about being caught by the police, but um, their friend, Bobby, not to be confused with Bob, (laughs) tells them that it's not the police they have to worry about. Quote, it's the Panthers. I hope they mean the wild animal. I, they don't. I, and I sure almost jumped out my window because yikes. Um, at the bonfire, um, Charlie is looking fully unhinged at this point, And he says that Armageddon is here. And I was like, oh, Armageddon, where's Bruce Willis? Put me on this rocket ship. Take right? me Liv Tyler <laughs> is in that movie. And I think she's the most beautiful actress in Hollywood. And so, but that's not the Armageddon he's talking about. Um, he says they all need to dance like it's their last night on Earth. Oh, okay. So they do. Um, the next day, they start to practice shooting, stabbing, etc. Like you do. Oh, okay. So compound training like in Divergent. Self-defense, yes. Um, Linda asks why they don't just take the kids and go to the desert and hide. Like, that's their big plan anyways. It's like after all this big race war, they're going to go to the desert and live there. After the war. Yeah. This is not very well thought out. Maybe after, maybe before, I don't know. I think maybe fiction was worse then. Like maybe books have gotten better. So now we in hindsight, 2020 mode know that a story has to be better written. Yeah. Um, so Susan is like, Oh, I'm sorry. Are you questioning Charlie? Yes. Yes, bitch. I am. Um, during killing lessons, Charlie grabs Leslie and actually, like, cuts her neck a little. Yikes. Squeaky, like, stands up and she totally flips out. So Charlie, like, backhands her. And he says now she has to prove herself to him. Um, they try to shake down the guy from dinner that was they were talking to, to about the White Album. Okay. For money. They try to get money from him. Um but he says he doesn't have any. So Charlie cuts his face with a sword. Then tells Bobby to quote, take care of it. Who let him have a fucking sword? I guess when you're God, you can do what you want, right? Oh, I forgot about that rule. Yeah. So Bobby stabs him and Susan holds a pillow over his face until he dies. Charlie, just for, you know, 
continuity sake, ducks right the fuck out because he's a gigantic pussy. I hate him. Susan recounts the tales to the girls and tells them that the murder was, quote, amazing. Oh, my God, guys. It was so much fun. She sounds like she's talking about prom. I'm, I guess I did prom differently. Hmm. <laughs> Linda arrives home in the future. She's home, back home and she's okay. talking to her mom. Um, her mom is like, I can make you mac and cheese and fix you a Fanta. Oh, I know. <laughs> so Linda calls the compound and Susan starts going on about how they were arrested for grand theft auto, but the police had to release them because of insufficient evidence. Okay. Um, Linda asks where Tanya is, and soon as Susan is like, oh, the police took her when we were all arrested. So she hangs up, and her mom's like, um, who's Tanya? Oh, no. Yeah. But we, we don't get that conversation. We just flash back again to before she left. Um, Bobby, after killing um, the friend guy, has been arrested because he was supposed to be getting rid of the car, but he was... Uh, caught sleeping on the side of the road in the stolen car instead. Susan's not at all flawed logic is that if they kill someone else and leave the same prints that they left at the last scene, the police will know that Bobby had nothing to do with the murder and then they'll have to let him go. Uh, I'm pretty sure kindergartners come up with that same logic. I'm like, girl, that's a long walk for not very much. Um, Um, so Yeah, Charlie at this point has taken off to San Francisco because he's the worst. Um, So they're all just like super high and acting like idiots and they don't know what to do without him telling them what to do. Um, Linda tries to leave with Tanya and Susan stops her by telling her about how her mom died of cancer and she was so sad until she met Charlie um, and Linda and everybody. Now she has a family and so Linda decides to stay. Charlie comes back and promptly freaks out about Bobby being arrested. So Susan proposes her idea to kill someone else, which he loves. He says it's not just a good idea. It's quote far out, far out, man. Linda's going to be the driver. They're going to go to the house on Cielo drive, which is Sharon Tate's home. Um, Susan is so excited and that's disturbing. Um, They're in the car singing that song that, okay. Have you ever seen any like coverage of this case? Yes. Like the court footage, you know, in the end it's the three girls and they're walking down the hallway and they're singing the song. Yeah. It's this song. If I'm not mistaken, I think they use that song in the new Sabrina Netflix Sure. Oh, they use one of the Manson family songs. I think it's that one um, for when she tries out for the choir. Okay. Um, so they're in the car singing that song. Um, they shoot a guy in his car and tell Linda to be at the lookout while they go inside. This guy's just like dying in his car and they're like, look out. We're we'll back. Like, Oh my God. No. So she stays out there by herself for approximately 30 seconds before going to the house where she witnesses several very, very brutal murders. They thankfully did not spend a lot of time on these, but it was still very gruesome. Um, She goes back to the car and everybody runs down and hops in. They're all covered in blood. Don't Um, like that. 
So they're taking off their clothes and throwing them out the window of the car. Um, at the compound, we're back at the beginning of the story um, with the news story about the murders. They're all very happy that they managed to murder a, a famous actress, especially Susan. Charlie, however, is not happy because the news story doesn't mention um, other suspects. And that's that was their job. That was the, they had one job to do, and it was to drum up other suspects so that they could get Bobby out of jail, and they didn't do it. Right. Um. He says they're going to go back out that night and Linda will have to get blood on her hands this time. I don't like Uh, that. Linda doesn't want to. So squeaky pops up and is like, let me prove myself. Let me. Oh, good. It all comes back. Okay. Yeah. Next is the murder of the LaBiancas. They don't actually show this murder. Thank God. Um, They just show like the screaming outside. Um, They show them like they show Charlie going in and he ties up Mr. LaBianca and then he pieces the fuck out. Of course he does. Um, So he is in the he he leaves and he gets in the car with Linda and tells her not to feel bad for them because dying is easy. It's living. That's scary. Okay. Then he makes her leave the others there while they're killing these people and drive him back to the compound. I'm bored. Please take me home now. (coughs) Okay. They're all reading the news story about the murder and laughing about what they did to these poor people. Um, And they're all super bummed because nobody's put together that it's on the same people committing these crimes. And I'm like, weren't you trying to start a race war? Like, right. You guys miss. They're not supposed to think it's you. Well, this is how they start. This is how it starts. You get blamed, and then you turn the focus. Okay, it's the um, it's the Charlie Manson long game. Uh, Charlie Manson is a dumbass. Um, so Susan has decided they're gonna like start killing more famous people because it was on the news longer. So they're gonna um they're gonna murder these people to get attention, including Liz Taylor, oh. Frank Sinatra, and Elvis. They're going big. Yeah, go big or go home, right? Um, Linda leaves her mom's house to go back to L.A. to get Tanya. Um, She has a nightmare about uh, Charlie drowning Tanya when she gets home with her. But her mom wakes her up because the Manson family has been arrested. Oh, okay. The phone rings while they're watching the story and Linda jumps out of her skin and tells her mom not to answer the phone. She runs upstairs and starts to pack because she says she watched them you know, do these murders. She didn't try to stop them. And so she's basically guilty by association. Right. Um, She, so she leaves um, her mom's house, leaves the baby with her mom and she goes to the police and gives a full confession. Right. Oh, real quick. Um, It's raining outside. So my dogs are enjoying inside and they were all calm and quiet until Sarah came back from church. And now they're having to show off every toy they own. And I'm not going to be able to edit that out totally fine um so she goes (laughs) (laughs) she goes and gives her full confession and they she finishes her story and the detective is like um so what the fuck exactly (laughs) he must not have ever felt like a nobody he must not have ever known what it felt what it feels like to think that nobody would care if you disappeared and feel like Someone finally makes you feel like you matter. Mm-hmm. He says that he wouldn't 
care enough to kill anyone if that happens. And she says, quote, sometimes the only thing that makes sense is no sense. I unfortunately follow that line of thinking really well. We end with a reenactment of that scene that I was talking about earlier um, with Susan, Leslie and Patricia walking through the courtroom, singing that same fucking song. Um, Susan stops about halfway down the hallway and turns around and she says, Oh, Linda, we are everywhere. And then they giggle and go back to singing in their song. God, this is awful. Yeah. The ending, um, text is quote linda kasabian was granted full immunity in exchange for her testimony she and tanya live under assumed names in the pacific northwest susan atkins died from brain cancer in prison in 2009 leslie van houten patricia krenwinkel bobby beausoleil tex watson and charles manson remain in prison serving life sentences and like i said this movie was released in 2016 Charles Manson did die in prison November 19th, 2017, and Leslie Van Houten was granted parole in 2019. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. All We're right. done. Thank God. <laughs> All right. So, um, because I didn't know what direction this movie would take, and I really do try not to research the movies a whole lot because I want to be surprised and have, like, authentic reactions. So, you can always ask me. <laughs> right. Um. So I I focus I researched it enough to know that it was really telling the story through Linda Kasabian's point of view. Yes. And so my whole research was de- dedicated to just her. Okay. And then her involvement with the family. And so mm-hmm. I don't have nearly as much about the family as I would if I were focusing on Manson or the family as a cult. Oh, guess what? Charles Manson sucks. That's all you need to know. Perfect. He's the worst. Perfect. Um, so my um, sources were uh, the biography.com's uh, biography of Linda Kasabian. Okay. The Wikipedia article, Linda Kasabian. And um, a journalist named Mark Oliver posted on April 1st of this year, and it's because it was in response to uh, Leslie getting parole. Yes. Um, so on April 1st, he posted, Linda Kasabian was Charles Manson's lover until she brought the whole Manson family to justice. And that was on mm-hmm. allthatsinteresting.com. Cool. Um, and so all of these, of course, will be posted in our notes. Uh, we've done really well about that the past couple of weeks, and we're yeah. going to keep it up. Excuse me. All right. So Linda Darlene Druin was born in Biddeford, Maine, and was raised in Milford, New Hampshire. Okay. Her father was a construction worker, mm-hmm. and her mother was a homemaker, which I guess is the sophisticated way of saying stay-at-home mom. But Yeah. I don't know how you make a home. I've always laughed at that phrase or like that term. I, you know, I find stay at home mom. I find, um, homemaker. Like it seems to me like a sexist way to say don't, doesn't, doesn't have a work. job. Right. Yeah. Which is not true. If you've ever stayed home with a lot, with children, right. any children, or just tried to run a home, it's a lot of work, so right. We not respect. Yeah, we don't have a good term for what that is, and I've just always laughed at homemaker. And you're right, stay-at-home mom does sound like lazy AF. It does. It sound, like when I think stay-at-home mom, I, like I think of a person that literally stays at home all the time, which is not what a stay-at-home mom does. No. So. Uh-uh. Um. Anyway, so. I just want to be a stay-at-home single person. Win the lottery which would be me, just sitting at home all day. <laughs> right. Um, so 
Anyway, her parents fought a lot when she was little, and it was often about money. Of course. And her father ultimately abandoned his family while she was still very young. Ouch. Yeah. So her parents remarried quickly, and her father remarried and moved to Miami. Like Uh, you do. Right. Sounds like a midlife crisis to me. Right. (laughs) So she stayed with her mom and stepfather. Mm-hmm. And she was the oldest child and had a whole lot of younger siblings and step-siblings. Really? Yeah. And so um, basically her parents left her to raise herself since she was the oldest. Um, and her mom later stated in interviews that because of this, she feels like she has a lot of responsibility in everything that happened in Linda's life. That yeah. if she'd paid more attention to her as a kid, that she would have felt like she belonged somewhere. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So Linda was described as intelligent and a starry-eyed romantic by like her teachers and her classmates. And um, she was really beloved, actually. That's literally me. Intelligent and a starry-eyed romantic. You know, anytime I describe her podcast, I'm like, so there's Aaron and she's an intelligent, starry-eyed romantic. (laughs) And then there's Paul and he is a narcissistic um, pessimist. And... (laughs) You know, I'm a, I am an intelligent, starry-eyed romantic, but with a good dash of, like, cynicism in oh, there now. yeah. That I'm older. We would not get along if there were not cynicism there. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so she was kind and shy, but one of the articles said she was forced to grow up too soon. Um, when she was 16, she dropped out of school and ran away from home because of increasing issues with her stepfather. Mm-hmm. who she oh. allu- she alleged was abusing her mom she never said anything about her but she said she just couldn't take his like abuse on the family that's interesting because when she's leaving the home in the movie she is like her mom is like what are you like why are you leaving and she's like why don't you ask your husband and she's like her mom's like why what did he do and she's like it doesn't matter like it's over now right so basically implying that he had done something to her right and to her mom so Um, It's just interesting the way they chose to play that. Right. Um, So she ran west, claiming to be looking for God. And if I'd realized that God was in California, I would have moved a long time ago, y'all. Okay, listen. Who would you have been in the hippie movement? Who would I have been? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Would you have been a hippie or would you have been like a person that didn't like hippies? I don't. I th- there's I don't a there's know. a scale there, but I I think I would have been closer to the people who didn't like hippies. But then again, like before I entered adulthood, and especially before I started teaching, I was a really conservative person, mm-hmm. and so it it really took me teaching in the first school I taught in that was kind of an inner city school to make me more liberal mm-hmm. and to be more open and loving of all people and i'm not afraid to admit that we're always changing yeah um, so i think that in a time when the hippies were so big if i had not had an influence on my life like that that i would have been a conservative cross my arms glare down my nose at people like that that's interesting like i'm a i grew up in a very very conservative home um i we went to church every time the doors were open but once i like got out into the world, I became much more of like a free spirit. And so I think I would have leaned more towards the hippie side. Although I do enjoy like creature comforts, like deodorant and showers. Right. And exactly. So I would have been like, I would have been on the hippie side, but not all the, I probably wouldn't have lived on a compound. I think you and I probably would have been on opposite sides of the center. Yeah, probably. Um, 
So let's see. She ran away from home. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so she went west and she wound up marrying her first husband, Robert Peasley. Mm -hmm. Um, but she divorced him pretty shortly after that. Well, because his last name was Peasley. <laughs> and that's grounds for divorce right there. So she moved um to Miami. So she went the opposite direction of God after that. Like Welcome she to went Miami. west, didn't work out, went to Miami. Um, yes. Sorry. So she uh she tried to reconnect with her father, mm -hmm. but they never really connected. So then she made the next logical move, which was to Boston. And that's where she married a man named Robert Kasabian. California, Florida, Boston? Yeah, duh. Those are the three places God is. That's the Holy Trinity. When they talk about it in the Bible, that's what they mean. All three coasts. <laughs> There's not a third coast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So what is happening <laughs> anyway? Um, so, um, Robert Kasabian, mm -hmm. um, was, was the father of her daughter, Tanya. Mm -hmm. Um, and her marriage started to fall apart. So she took Tanya and moved back to New Hampshire and lived with her mother. Mm -hmm. Um, but later Robert Kasabian invited her to meet him in Los Angeles he said he was going to be sailing to South America with, um, and so he wanted her to join him and his friend, Charles Blackbeard Melton. And I want to know how good you have to be at sailing to get the name Blackbeard. Maybe he's a direct descendant of the pirate. I hope so. Pirate. How awesome would that be? So it's like a really great hippie name though. Right. Blackbeard. So, um, he was going to be sailing to South America and, um, Linda hoped to like hope that this meant reconciliation because she'd moved out to LA with him mm -hmm. and they were going to go to South America and all was going to be great. Um, so she moved out to LA and they lived in the hippie hub of the Topanga Canyon. Okay. And, um, during this time, she became pregnant with her second child and Robert got on board that boat and waved goodbye to her. As the boat took away and she was on the shore. Whoops. Yep. Um, so she was obviously heartbroken because she thought they were repairing things. And then he was like, peace out. Um, and so a friend of Blackbeard's named Catherine Gypsy Share told Linda of this. Hold on. You breeze right I over I tried that. so hard. Catherine Gypsy Share. Now it's share like you share your toys, not like Gypsy Tramps and Thieves share. She really missed, missed an opportunity. Share. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she could have been the original share from Clueless. Right. So Gypsy told Linda of this beautiful, perfect ranch where a group of hippies were hoping to establish a, a hole in the earth paradise to escape this like building social tension a whole okay. uh -huh. and so when she described this hole in the earth um linda said that it was reminiscent of the hopi legend like the uh, the native american tribe american indian indigenous i never know what term we're going with indigenous people um, i think there's still tribes right but i never know are we saying 
Native American, American Indian, or Indigenous people, because that shifts around based on where you are geographically. Yeah, I don't, that I don't know. So anyway, this Hopi... I just know what not to call them, because I'm not a complete dumbass. Right. Um, the Hopi legend of the fifth world is what this whole okay. reminded her of. And so I did a lot of research in that. In the most basic explanation, um, the Hopi people believed that they had survived through three worlds that had all kind of been destroyed because it had been messing up by their deity. And in my reading, I the only term I found for this deity was the spider grandfather. And that they were being guided by a spider woman in many instances. So I well, guess I'm on board with this, right? I'm on board completely. Um, anyway, so, the spider woman. I'm so on board. They decided that, or they, um, in their mythology, the deity was going to destroy this world, which is known as the fourth world. But okay. he was going to allow the Hopi to migrate into the fifth world, which was this perfect, untouched, unadulterated world. And so she thought that this ranch was that kind of idea. I kind of, I kind of get that. I feel like we're in this country. We're kind of in that kind of place. Right. right. I'm going to follow any spider web I can to get to something better. Yes. (laughs) Look, I keep waiting for Queen Elizabeth to come take me away, but she has not yet. Um, If I find that spider web and find a new place, I will turn my snap map on and you can come find me. Thank you. You're welcome. Get me out of here. Okay. Uh, anyway, so she decided to take Tanya and move to Spawn Ranch, which is where she met Big Bird <laughs> or Charlie Manson. You tell your story at this point. Tell your truth. <laughs> Look, I would much rather she have met Big Bird. Right? This movie would have been a lot nicer. So Kasabian was welcomed with open arms. She was greeted with blessings of peace. She was welcomed with much more than open arms. We're getting there. (laughs) Um, She was greeted with blessings of peace and love for her and her daughter. And they assured her that she and her daughter would be taken good care of as long as she remained loyal to the family. Uh Uh-huh. That I'm not so on board with. Um, So... During her first night there, she's been there a couple of hours, and that's when she meets Charles Tex Watson, mm-hmm. who was a high-ranking member of the family, um, and they immediately had sex. And because, okay. Get it, girl. Um, and so he persuaded her to go and steal money from Blackbeard. Oh, don't get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get the sex. Not the stealing. We're giving this a solid thumbs up and then an immediate thumbs down. down. (laughs) So she, um, the next day or like after she stole the money, she was introduced to Manson himself. And she did rub her legs, right? Unfortunately, she said that he looked magnificent in his buckskin clothing and he seemed Christ like. Have you ever seen a picture of Charles Manson? (laughs) Yes. None of those words describe that. <laughs> um, Manson asked her about why she joined the ranch, and then he rubbed her legs up and down. And I wrote, I have no more information about that, and I wish I did, but apparently she passed whatever interview she was having, and she was in. I mean, cool? <laughs> I guess? So, um, that very night... They had a very romantic date where he took her to a cave and they fucked. (laughs) (laughs) 
like to dinner or a movie. Not not a cave. I really like wine bars. Not so much into the cave, but <laughs> I guess you have to, you know, deal with what you're presented with. You know, and that's what he was doing. Everyone has their thing. Though uh, lots of judgments here, but not about that. <laughs> I mean, hey, whatever turns you on, whatever blows your dress up, baby. She um she later said that Manson could quote see right through her, and that he was perceptive of her issues with her stepfather. Um, in her testimony, she said she was impressed by him because he told her in that very first conversation that she had a father hang up and he was the first person to ever realize that she had a father hang up. And here's the thing. If you are a young girl who is running and trying to get as far away from your family as possible, there's a 90% chance that you have a father hang up and that that man has just played you on it. As a person with rampant daddy issues, I concur. <laughs> so uh, Linda's life became a daily routine of LSD, music, dancing, orgies, and in Linda's own words, quote, just being free. I mean, that doesn't sound that bad. I don't know that I'd want to do LSD, but again, I want I've, to have control of my body. I've never done LSD, but. I'm just thinking in the grand scheme of things. Right. It's right, up, it's right up until they get to like murder that I'm like, mm, I'm on board until they get to murder. And I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm, I left my oven on. There's yeah. a, there's a pie in the oven. Got to go back in Boston. I got to go. <laughs> um, so um, she idolized Manson. She saw him as a father and a lover and a God all in one. I will never understand this. And that is a one-stop shop, man. They, <laughs> But all of his followers felt this way. And I'm uh -huh. like, what was this guy selling? Because to me, he's not hot. He's got the crazy eyes. He's got the crazy, like, beliefs. I don't get it. I, what is he got? Like, he must have been so good in bed. He also gave them a place to belong. Everyone he took in felt like they didn't have a place to belong. And he validated that. Enough to make them think that he was God? I mean, it's happened so many times in history, unfortunately. I don't get it. Um, she said she would have done anything and everything he asked. So she began joining family members on their creepy crawls, which meant sneaking into random homes in L.A. and stealing money while the occupants Creepy slept. crawly time! Yep. Okay. These and other criminal activities were how the family supported themselves, and Kasabian was a willing participant in all of that. Mm-hmm. Manson would remind the family members that, quote, everything belongs to everyone during these like campfire lectures that he had nightly that were fueled by psychedelic drugs. Right. Everything on this compound belongs to everyone. But out there, everything belongs to the people that it belongs to. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Mary Bruner didn't understand that distinction um, because she was arrested for using a stolen credit card. Whoops. And um, when she went to jail, that left Linda as the only member of the family with a valid California driver's license. Yeah, that's why she was the driver. Yep. So on August 8th, 1969, Manson announced, now is the time for Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter's not real. Which, as we mentioned, was a term taken from a Beatles song um, that he said it was 
um, related to a revolution that was prophesied in the book of Revelation. Nope. 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 So the next day, Manson told Kasabian to get a knife, a change of clothes, and her driver's license. Um, And she's like extreme turkey carving. I get it. She what? Sorry? She's like extreme turkey carving. That sounds like so much fun. That's why you need a knife and a change of clothes, right? No. <laughs> so, um, so she didn't even ask. She just like was like, okay, thanks, and went and got his her change of clothes and a knife, and um, and complied with the commands of her divine father, love, or friend thing. You gross. Insert Sarah noise. Ooh. she imagined they would be up to mischief perhaps something along the same lines as the creepy crawl but she really had no idea what was coming up i mean if she had like okay yeah i don't know um she was was instructed to accompany tex watson um who was that guy that she hooked up with the first night yep and susan atkins and patricia krenwinkel who apparently went by katie um, no idea, sure. but, um, I, um, why at this point, why not right. girl? call yourself whatever you want? She Fine. was instructed to drive them to the Hollywood mansion home of Roman Polanski. What an asshole. And his eighth month's pregnant yeah. wife, Sharon Tate. I was thinking about that. Like if this had not happened, I wonder if, if he would have been embroiled and all that. I wondered that too. It's just an interesting like track by mine. Uh huh. Mine chose too. to go down. Yeah. Um, so Linda knew that they would be breaking in, but she didn't know the full plan until another car pulled into the driveway just after they had arrived. Tex approached the driver, who was an 18-year-old boy, and put a revolver to his head. And then he slit the boy's wrists with a knife. (gasps) No! And while the boy begged for mercy, he shot him four times at point-blank range. Oh, that didn't happen in the movie. They just shot that guy. Oh, no! Yeah. Um... That was the moment, according to Linda, that she first realized that death was the ultimate goal of that night. I don't like it. Um, Tex then ordered Linda to wait outside as he and the other girls went in, and she was supposed to be their lookout to listen for anyone or anything that approached. (laughs) And she said that instead of hearing police or neighbors, she only heard screams from inside the mansion. Her quote was... So bad. Um... This is a quote from either her testimony or an interview. I don't remember now. Um, I heard a man scream out, no, no. Then I just heard screams. I just heard screams at the at that point. I don't have any words to describe how a scream is. I've never heard it before. It seemed to live forever infinite. Oh, it's so terrible. Okay. Um, she couldn't bear the screams anymore, so she ran inside to free herself, or to see for herself, sorry, what was going on. Um, I would have run the other way, but that's just me. Oh, and she thought she could make it stop, but she was not prepared for what she was going to see inside, um, because instead she found her friends carving up the body of Sharon Tate, oh, who was God. eight months pregnant at the time, and Linda was also still pregnant with her second child, so oh. she, um, she really took that to heart that she was pregnant and they were watching her murder this pregnant woman. Um, and then she saw a blood soaked man stumble out of the house and fall and hold onto a nearby post. And she said he had blood all over his face and he was standing by a post and we looked into each other's eyes for a minute. And I just said, Oh God, I am so sorry. Please make it stop. 
And then he fell to the ground and into the bushes. At at this point, Susan Atkins comes out of the house. Um, Linda called for Susan to make it stop, but instead Tex came out and started stabbing the guy who'd fallen in the bushes in the head. When she looked inside, Linda saw Katie Krenwinkle with a knife raised over her head, chasing a woman in in a white gown. The woman cried for her mother as Krenwinkle stabbed her repeatedly. Oh my God. Okay. Linda didn't run away that night, even though she wanted to. (sighs) My dog is hungry and he's letting us know. I can hear. (laughs) She drove the family members back to the spawn ranch and listened as Krenwinkle complained that she'd hurt her hand while stabbing the woman. I mean. (sighs) What an asshole. Everything about this story sucks. I just, I don't understand this at all. At the ranch, Linda stayed still and quiet while Manson yelled at them for being so sloppy. He decided that he'd go with them the next day to make sure they committed the same ritualistic kind of killing the right way. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. So the next time they were sent out, which I think was the next day, but just a moment. I'm going to go. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Um, anyway, so, um, the next time, which, like I said, I think was the next night, um, Linda drove Manson, Tex, Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Horen, or Houghton, okay, I mistyped or misread, Leslie Van Houghton, um, who took the place of Susan Atkins, to the home of Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Manson tied the victims up personally, and then he got the hell out of Dodge and had, (laughs) yep, because he's a pussy. He's the worst. Okay. And had Linda take him just for a lovely little drive around town while the others killed the LaBiancas. Then he said that Linda had to kill the next victim for herself, and he gave her a knife. He told her to drive to the home of actor Saladin Nadir. Nader, I mean, sorry, try to make mm-hmm. it fancy, and cut his throat the moment he opened the door. Uh. <laughs> so Linda pleaded with Manson, saying, Charlie, I'm not you. I cannot kill anybody. Please don't make me do this. Mm-hmm. And Manson seemed to not even like notice that she'd spoken. He went on to describe in detail how to slice the actor's throat. So Linda devised a plan to uh, get out of the situation, at least for now. And when they arrived at the apartments, she intentionally knocked on the wrong door. Mm -hmm. And when a stranger opened the door, she loudly announced, Oh, excuse me, wrong door. And then she was like, I was looking for um, Saladin Nader. And so she talked a little bit longer and then she turned around and they, she convinced them that he was just not home that night. Um, So Manson believed her. And she got out of it for that night. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So less than 48 hours later, Linda Kasabian snuck away from the ranch and ran as fast as she could back to her mother's house. Good girl. Yeah. Yeah. A little late, but I'll give you this one. Um, so she turned herself into the police, like, almost immediately after she left the ranch. Mm-hmm. She told the police everything and promised to testify against the Manson family. And the prosecutor on the case said she never even asked for immunity from prosecution, but we gave it to her. 
Yeah. And Linda herself said she didn't care what happened to her. She just wanted all the killings to end. She started to receive death threats from the family if she were to testify against them. And the defense lawyer dragged her name through the mud, trying to destroy her reputation so that her testimony would be discounted by the jury. Dude, your client is Charles Manson. Yeah. Thy mouth. He made sure that everyone knew she was a drug addict, and he said she was a psychopath, a liar, and even went on to say that she was actually the mastermind behind the killings. Oh, sure. Uh Uh-huh. And for the majority of her 18 days of testimony, she had to testify for 18 days. No. Yeah. I would not want to hear that testimony. I wouldn't want to give that testimony. Ugh. Nope. For the majority of her 18 days, the defense attorneys tried unsuccessfully to discredit Kasabian by bringing into account her extensive use of LSD and then by trying to perf- like punch holes in her story. Elliot, go away. I love you, but I'm a distance right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's so cute. Um, anyway, um, Kasabian did not break under the intensive cross-examination and her testimony matched every piece of physical evidence that had been presented. In addition to being supported by like other prosecution witnesses. Okay. Um, on the stand, Linda Kasabian had to relive and retell every horrible moment that she had witnessed in front of a jury and a mass of reporters. And many times it seemed as if Linda were the one on trial. She broke down in tears more than once. And while she cried, the rest of the Manson family just sat with cold, expressionless faces as they looked at the like photos of the mutilated bodies of the victims. Um, during one of the cross-examinations, Manson's defense lawyer, Irving Kanarek, showed her a large color crime scene photograph of the Tate murders or several photographs. And um, she started to cry and it said, uh, this was a quote, I think from Wikipedia, Kasabian's emotional reaction was in stark contrast, stark contrast to the other family members. Manson and Krenwinkel's defense attorney, Paul Fitzgerald would later assert that Canarek's tactic meant to discredit Kasabian was the grave error that completely backfired and exonerated her as a witness. Um, not a hundred percent. That's the case, but it definitely helped. Uh, so she broke down and she looked at the members of the family and she said, how could you do that? The female, well, this is why he thinks this was a thing. The okay. female defendants laughed. <gasps> so she's crying and she said, how could you do that to someone? And they're laughing. And I think that maybe he's got something there that that their tactic to try to discredit her completely backfired when all of his clients started to laugh. Right. That's the thing. It wasn't her reaction. It was their, their reaction. reaction. Right. Yeah. Um, the Manson's defense attorney asked Kasabian how she could be so certain considering her LSD use that she'd not participated in any of the gruesome acts. And she said, I don't have that kind of thing in me to do something so animalistic. Uh, sounds like someone that doesn't know a lot about LSD, but that's none of my business. <laughs> although Manson's, although the Manson family's It's mur- not a roofie. You don't like forget what you did. Right. I can't. Okay. Although the Manson family's murder trial lasted nine months. 
The testimony from numerous witnesses, including several other former family members. Kasabian's testimony, more than anything else, according to um, the prosecutor, who's got a last name that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, (laughs) led the convictions of Manson, led to the conventions of, mm -mm, there are all those words I know, led (laughs) to the convictions of Uh Manson, Watson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten. There, I spelled it right that time, so that was the only thing. On January 25th, 1971, the defendants were found guilty on all counts by the jury, leading to the penalty phase of the trial, um, which um, I I apparently wrote what a penalty phase was, like you wouldn't know. Okay. Or the people listening wouldn't know. (laughs) Um, So... Various female witnesses, including like defendants and other family members, mm-hmm. all had testified that Linda was the mastermind behind the crimes. Um, the trial jury had completely rejected their testimony. No shit. Right. And then more recently, like pretty recently, actually, these accusations have been publicly repudiated. And like the former family members, including Catherine Share, Gypsy. Susan Adkins and Tex Watson ha- all said like those were complete and blatant lies. Tex Watson and said that those allegations were patently ridiculous. So at least there's been a little bit of like we were all Whoa. assholes. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? <laughs> With um, your faithful sidekick, duh. <laughs> Linda <sighs> would never forgive herself for her involvement in the murder. And she uh she felt like she should have been punished as well she mm-hmm. said i would never accept the fact that i was not punished for my involvement um however she was socially turned into a pariah because of this um, yeah. because in the media and throughout the course of the trial um every like sexual exploit she had while she was there every dirty piece of laundry that she ever had came out because everyone's trying to discredit her or like the defense was trying to discredit her um it wound up ruining all of her personal relationships you know it's like um, I, I don't think you listen to True Crime Obsessed. I do. Um, they covered Serial on their Patreon page. And they were talking about some of the um, evidence used as, like, corroboration that um, Adnan Zaid is, like, this terrible killer. Like, oh, he smoked pot. And he, you know, th- and you can do all those things and also not be a murderer. Right. The, that's a big leap. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It just bugs me Um, so um in fact for a lot of her life she was completely alone except for the secret service agents who were sent to protect her from like the threat of death against the manson family wow that's terrible so she she had her own punishment kind of yeah she was in protective custody for years after the trial to ensure that she wasn't killed um like by some crazy disciple of manson and then she was also perpetually followed by the social by media for years. She finally managed to disappear and live a secret life under an assumed name. But in 2009, the press finally tracked her down and she was living in a trailer park in absolute poverty. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Over the years, Kasabian has avoided and refused most news media. Um, she appeared only once between 1969 and 2008. 
and she was in an like interviewed for a program called A Current Affair in 1988. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um there were a couple of like documentaries that her interviews were aired on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, finally, Oh, she is interviewed in, uh, one of the things that aired, um, in 2009 and then again in 2013, but her, um, her appearance, her image is obscured so that it protects her identity. Okay. And then finally in September 2nd, 2009, uh, or on September 2009, she did an interview with Larry King. Mm-hmm. Um, and she recounted her memories of the murders at the sh- at Sharon Tate's home. Oh. And then to help her maintain a now quiet life, Kasabian, uh, she was wearing a disguise provided mm-hmm. by the program. Okay. She told King during the interview that after the trial, she'd been in need of, but had never attained counseling. And that during the previous 12 years, she had finally gotten on a path of healing and rehabilitation. And when she was asked about the degree of her remorse for her participation in the crimes, she said she felt as if she took on all the guilt that no one else who was involved in the crimes felt guilt for. Yeah. And that. I mean, I don't want to seem like overly sympathetic because at the end of the day, she did participate in these crimes, but she seems to be the only person that feels bad about it. Right. And and she did, like, step up and do the right thing. Right. And, and she, she realized that this was going to be, like, a thing. Right. And as it, you know, as it was pointed out, she did not ask for immunity. She did not say, I'll testify against them in exchange for anything. She yeah. said, this happened and we all need to go to jail. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fine line. All right. So that was rough and super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I loved reading all of that. <laughs> you're the one that likes cults so. i do love cults but here's the thing i really don't con- he's not a good cult leader no so don't at me um so what would you have paired this movie with um <clears throat> you know i'm really not sure i they don't charlie manson drinks a lot of whiskey so maybe some whiskey I, if not, just get some candy dots and pretend they're LSD and watch this movie. Good plan. Yeah. Candy dots and whiskey. That is a grown man's diet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess you could do like real LSD and watch this movie. I can't guarantee that it would be the best trip for you though. Yeah. Not recommended. (laughs) Um, Hey, so what did you see this week that you would like to see turn into a lifetime movie? Okay, so you know I love a good con artist. Absolutely. Um, I, again, was going to, I was thinking about doing um, Anna Delvey, but I found another one that was even more interesting to me. Okay. So I'm pulling a lot of this off Betches.com. Okay. I love that website. It's awesome. Um, So there is a woman named Jenny Ambuila. She is from Miami. Um, she's originally from Colombia. She had she has two different Instagram accounts. They both have um, quite a few followers, over ten thousand. Um, but she was posing as a um, quote influencer, which is all well and good. She really 
Um, she did have a lot of money. She did drive a Lamborghini. She did have all the Louis Vuitton luggage. It was all hers. So it's, you know, uh, the problem is her entire family was arrested in Colombia after her Instagram. Somebody went through her Instagram because her father, his job is about $3,000 a month. He's a, um, he's a customs. Hold on. Oh, he's a customs affil- uh, like a official. Uh-huh. So it turns out he's been allegedly accepting bribes in order to let goods into the country tax free since 2012. Holy Reportedly shit. pocketing millions of dollars in illegal payments, Holy which that's what shit. bought her Lamborghini. <laughs> so basically her um, her pride over all the shit that she had. Um, got, got her caught. father, got her entire family arrested. So I would love to watch that movie. It's pretty interesting, right? I'm, I, I think it's pretty good. I think Lifetime could really have some fun with this, with you know Miami and the partying and you know the the Columbia like customs thing. I think they could really have a field day with it. I think it'd be good. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. Elliot's back just to tell y'all he loves you. So your case was what the squeaky toy murders? Yes, that's exactly that about it. to happen. <laughs> no, he's an angel. I'm um, so um I have a good friend who uh, works in Capel, Texas. And Coppel? Capel. Coppel? It's pronounced Capel. I know this because he works there for the city. Nobody I know calls it that. Well nobody. The people who live there do. C O P P E L. Um Anyway, um, he so for people who don't know about Capel, it is a very wealthy suburb of Dallas. Yes, and um, there have been a string for the past three years of overdose deaths, and okay. um, all young kids, like juniors and seniors in high school, through the first couple of like up to like twenty one and twenty two years old. Mm-hmm. So very young people. Oh um, yeah, and so it finally raised enough of an issue that um that all these people were dying of heroin overdoses that um the feds got involved right and they had to come in and shut down this motel called the Han Gill Hotel and um sounds like somewhere I'd want to stay but yeah so the Han Gill Hotel had um the owners had put uh, cameras and audio devices in the um, rooms and they mm-hmm. knew that there was an illegal drug and prostitution ring running running out of this hotel like a trafficking oh, okay. ring um, so I'm sorry I said prostitution it was a trafficking ring which is okay the, the, different yes that's different <laughs> yes um, anyway so um, it's all these like rich kids were going to Dallas to score their heroin and um, the Dallas PD wouldn't even touch it. So the Capel police department had to deal with it. And when they couldn't, because it's technically out of their jurisdiction, that's when they had to call in the feds. Um, But um, they uh, just a couple of things like um, for one, the owner of the hotel has waived his right to a detention hearing, so he's going to just stay in custody until his actual trial, which is probably the smartest thing you could do. Probably. Um, 
probably. But yeah. like, for instance, a woman's corpse in January was found dumped in the woods of Oak Cliff, which is clear across Dallas. What? Um, she had been at the Han Gill and she died in OD'd. And then by the time the body was found, like she OD'd and died. And by the time the body was found, it was so badly decomposed. The police had to use a sketch of her tattoos to identify her. Oh. And so there, there was all this like covering up happening. Um, and the, a, the federal prosecutor on the case said that in his 26 years of, as a prosecutor, the Han Gill was one of the most dangerous places he's ever encountered. Um, Yikes. yeah, okay. it said it was the go-to place for young people in Capel for drugs. Um, and one mom even now, uh, recounted the story of, let's see, I'm, I'm reading the article from the Dallas morning news. Uh-huh. Um, Another Capel mother said Monday that she had known about the Han Gill for a while because she'd gone there three times to rescue her child and had had guns pulled on her twice. The woman's child told the feds in a February affidavit, I personally knew 15 to 20 heroin users from in and around Capel. The mother who asked to not be identified because her child is still cooperating with the investigation mm-hmm. said the first time she tried to get her child out of the Han Gill, a girl ran out from the front of the hotel beaten and bleeding. Oh my God. And it's this whole ring of like that should have been shut down so long. So if I'm filming this, if I'm giving this a lifetime, it's told through the eyes of the federal investigator who's uh-huh. shutting the place down. Okay. You know, cause he's the hero, but just that was, I had a story all week. I was going to tell you. And then I heard the story yesterday and I was like, stop the presses. <laughs> Interesting. Ah, Interesting. Well, it's been, a good one. It has. Um, hey, you know what we're doing next week? We are doing. <gasps> oh my god! Yes. What? I'm Aaron. Oh, hey! Welcome to Lifetime <laughs> Sentence. I'm Paul. <laughs> it's what? only a DN. Glad, glad we got that in. <laughs> Please leave that in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, next week we're watching The Girl in the Bathtub. Yeah, and I'm already not looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm on the fence. Um, I I don't know anything about it, but just the title tells me I don't think I want to like it. Yeah. So, all right. Hey, where can people find us on the interwebs? Well, on the... Let's see. On the Instagram, we are at Lifetime Sentence. On the Twitter machine, we are at Life Sentence Pod. You can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. And mm-hmm. you can find our show notes with links and sometimes photos and whatever else we want to put up there. At- yeah. I'm going to put that creepy video yeah. of the girl singing on there because you should all have to feel my pain. Yes. Um, but you can find that at Lifetime Sentence Pod.com. Yes. And please keep the rate, review, subscribes coming through. We love it. We love you guys. It's been super fun. Yeah. It has been wonderful. And uh, we love you all. So don't forget to eat your vegetables. Yes. And charge your phone. All right. Bye. Bye.
This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.